0: Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. You know, today we're going to conclude our three-week series covering the Book of Ruth. And uh, I've been encouraging you all to read through the book, uh, which is only four chapters, and read through it each week, and allow yourself time to study, investigate, meditate, and really just ask the Holy Spirit to reveal truths to you as you read that re- read the Scripture. And there are so many lessons found in this book that I, I hope you've been seeing and that you've been pulling out. And this is a little bit different kind of series because it's like a big devotion. And, and I, I purposely wanted to do something like this for a while just so that for those of you who maybe not don't know how to read the Bible or you feel like when you read it you don't understand it, just to give you a little insight or a little, a little uh uh, how to by by example, so to speak, of just reading through the story, stopping asking questions, diving in and studying and finding the answers to those questions, whether it be in the study notes or whether it be biblical commentary or whether or strong 's concordance, man, I love that strong 's concordance. You can pull out any Greek or Hebrew word and find exactly what they were saying and it 's an interesting, interesting way to do a, a sermon, and um, i 've had a lot of great feedback from people, but this is our last week in this, and we're going to get into some other stuff. But so far, we've studied that, uh, or we've seen that this, th- this is a story of a wealthy Jewish couple, Elimelech and Naomi, living in spiritually dark times, choosing to leave Bethlehem in Judah because of famine, and living going and living in Moab, which was outside the nation of Israel, by the way. I'm just kind of giving you a little review here. They left the promised land that God had given to his people, and they went to this foreign land. Lessons all over this, by the way. I'm not even going to talk about them this morning because we've got other stuff to get to. They took their sons with them, Killian and Malon, whose names literally mean waste away and sickly. And these two boys met and married Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth. This situation went from bad to worse when Elimelech died, and then later his two sons died, leaving Naomi alone with her two daughter-in-laws to take care of. And Naomi decides to go back to Judah after that, where at least there was some hope she wouldn't be a foreigner there, and maybe there would be those that would take pity on her because the prophets would preach that of Israel, would pre- preach, have pity on the poor, and they had, they had uh, uh, things in place to take care of them. So there was some hope back there. And almost as soon as she got started going back home, back to Judah, back to Bethlehem, she starts pleading with her daughters-in-laws to go back to Moab, which is really an interesting thing. She says that her God hasn't treated her well in all of and all of this and so you might as well go back to your family before you the family you had before you married my sons and, and uh, go back to everything you knew before and that included serving their old gods that they used to worship neither Orpah or Ruth wanted to leave Naomi but with some more pleading Orpah left and returned to her home but Ruth absolutely refused and if you remember last week we talked about this a little bit Orpa kissed her mother-in-law and then parted ways forever i, I said that it kind of reminded me of of when uh, judas kissed jesus it's interesting how things in the word of god just kind of happen over and over again and when you start looking at the bigger picture it, it you start putting together like a puzzle It just all fits But uh, uh, Ruth absolutely refused to leave. And she said this in Ruth 1, 16 through 17. I want to read it again. I've read it all three weeks because it's one of the most beautiful passages in all the Old Testament. It says, for where you go, this is what she told her mother-in-law, for where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. She was pledging her allegiance This was a vow to Naomi and a declaration by Ruth that she would serve the God of Israel and abandon her own false gods. She recklessly, and hear me, I mean, hear me, church, she recklessly abandoned life as she knew it. She left her homeland, her security, her family, everything she knew, she left it all to serve her mother-in-law, Naomi, and to serve Naomi's God. And as they arrive back in Judah, the Bible makes sure to let us know the time of year. It's during the time of the Feast of Weeks, the time of the late harvest of barley. And it coincides with our celebration of Pentecost, or the day that the Holy Spirit was given and and the Church of Jesus Christ began. It was 50 days after Passover, which coincides with our Easter celebration. And I talked about that last week. And so if you didn't hear those messages from the last two weeks, jump in and listen to them, because it'll, it'll give more information than I am this morning. And as the story continues, we find out that there's a relative of Naomi's husband named Boaz. Ruth goes and begins to glean from the fields behind those that are reaping. She's picking up what they are leaving behind. And Jewish law provided for this as as, um, landowners, they were to allow widows and those who were poor to glean in their fields after their own reapers had gone through. And, And then just by happenstance, Ruth happens to end up in the part of the field belonging to Boaz. And then again, by happenstance, Boaz uh, happened to be near the field that day, and he notices her, and he notices her hard work. You following me so far? A little review. This is Boaz blessing her. He noticed her and her hard work, and then finding out that she was the one who was so faithful and loyal to Uh, his relative Naomi, he blesses her by continuing to allow her to work. He also provides some protection for her as the men of the field were not to touch her. He made sure that. He invites her to eat with them and gives her access to the water that's been drawn by his men. He just treats her very kindly, and he blesses her. In Ruth 2.20, we see this phrase, kinsman redeemer. We went over this a little bit last week as Naomi identifies Boaz as one of their Kinsman Redeemers. And this is a part of Jewish law. I, I explained this last week, not going to get into it this week, but I will tell you this: the family or kinsman redeemer, the Gael is the Hebrew word, and it carries with it the idea of one who is of close relationship or kinship that redeems. Everybody say redeems, redeems. avenges, delivers, delivers, purchases, or ransoms. The kinsman redeemer had to qualify in four areas. Number one, he must have the right to redeem by being a close relative. Number two, he must have the ability to redeem. He must be free of any circumstance or situation that will put him in a position of needing redemption himself. Uh, Three, he must be willing to redeem, must be willing to do it. And four, the redemption was considered completed when the price was completely paid by the redeemer. We see that Boaz met all these marks and then related it back last week, how Jesus is our kinsman redeemer, and he meets all of those marks. Go back and listen to that sermon, and you'll know more about it. But this is where the story begins to really take on some personal meaning for us, because we too have a redeemer. Boaz is absolutely a picture of Jesus, and Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. Chapter three starts with Naomi seizing an opportunity in what has already transpired between Ruth and Boaz. She gives Ruth very specific instructions in reference to presenting herself to Boaz in a very modest and polite way and letting him know that she's interested in him marrying her. Now, this is where sometimes I think we read the scripture and we just look at the surface and we come away thinking, oh, this Ruth and Boaz. Ruth is all about this romantic relationship between Ruth and Boaz. And I'm here to tell you it goes much deeper than that. There's so much going on here that you have to understand. And yes, on the surface, there is this romantic thing happening. And I want you to know that, that Ruth um, did exactly what Naomi said, told her to do, and Naomi only told her to do things that were part of their custom. And it, it may seem like extra information or, or details sometimes within Scripture, but there's hidden treasures in there. And they can point to things, futuristically speaking. And when you're brave enough to ask why, a detail may be in there that uh, 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 maybe just opens a whole new understanding and a whole new um, comprehension of what God's trying to tell you through the Scripture. I say it's sometimes uh, you got to be brave enough, and I use the word brave, because when you start going down those rabbit trails and into the depths of God's Word and what they mean, It sometimes takes hours, sometimes days, sometimes months, and sometimes years. And it's really, really fun to get into God's word that way and allow yourself the time to just do it. You don't have to just read through the whole thing and be done and get your reading in for the day. Dig down deep and find out what it's saying for you. But Naomi tells Ruth to do these things. She says, wash up, basically take a bath, anoint yourself, put on your cloak... She didn't say that, but go down to the threshing floor, and then when Boaz is finished eating and goes to lie down, go and uncover his feet and lay down at his feet. Again, a lot of detail, and as you read through it, and there are customs that we're not we don't fully understand today, uh, but and even connect with at all. But this was an act of submission by Ruth. I want you to understand that this was an act of submission. She was saying, "I would like to marry. I would like you to marry me." She was submitting herself to Boaz not sexually in this moment, I think it's important to see that and know that, but as someone who wants to be redeemed. As I read this, it's, it's hard for me not to see the parallels between Ruth and the church. She is not a Jew by birth, but she is submissive and desires to be the bride of the one who could redeem her. Hold that thought as we go into the rest of the story. Ruth being a picture of the church. Ruth does everything that Naomi instructs her to do. Then look at what happens. Ruth 3, 9 through 11. Boaz says, Who are you? He asked. I am your servant Ruth. She replied. She said, Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer, my kinsman redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz ex- exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty. Now, than you did before, for you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now, don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary, for everyone in town knows you are a virtuous woman. This particular translation uses the phrase, spread the corner of your covering over me, which in our minds, we probably think, share your blanket with me. But original Hebrew seems to point to a more figurative meaning, as in spread your wings over me, figuratively as a bird over her young, protecting them. And this would be like Ruth saying, cover me with your protective wings and allow me to be your bride. Redeem, deliver, purchase, ransom, and even avenge my situation and all the sorrow that has fallen on me. So Ruth lays at the feet of Boaz until morning. There's no hanky-panky here. She's laying at his feet, in submission, submitting to him, saying, this is what I want you to do. Are you following me today? Turn to your, turn to your neighbor and say, this is just starting to get good. Yeah. I want you to understand that, he, that, that uh, she lays at the feet of Boaz until morning, but then gets up before dawn because Boaz didn't want anyone to know that she had been at the threshing floor. See, Naomi said, go, go find him when he lays down at the threshing floor. And it's interesting, uh, landowners often did this after the harvest because they, they wanted to protect their crop. So they knew he would be down there, more than likely, which he was. And she goes down and she lays there all night, but because he wants everything to be done in a proper manner, he didn't want people to think something happened that didn't happen. It's not a cover-up of something they did wrong. It's more about Boaz. Recognizing Ruth's innocence and protecting not only his name but hers before people jumped to conclusions about what was transpiring. Don't you love it when people jump to conclusions? It happens all the time, doesn't it? How many of you have ever jumped to a conclusion? I know I have. I like it when we're wrong on those things, right? He wanted to do, Boaz wanted to do something in a proper manner. Again, this shows that their encounter wasn't sexual. It was more about Ruth submitting to her kinsman-redeemer. Think about that. Ruth submitting to her kinsman-redeemer. I think of Ruth as the church submitting to our kinsman-redeemer. Boaz then tells her that he, in fact, is a qualified-redeemer for her. But there was another man that was a closer relative than he is. And that by law, he has first opportunity, this other guy does. Boaz also says that if the man is unable, then he would certainly redeem her. Boaz then gives Ruth six measures of barley to take back to Naomi so that she wouldn't return empty-handed. And Ruth seems to be somewhat disappointed in Boaz's words. After all, she, had, she hadn't met this other guy, this other man who was going to be given the opportunity to redeem her, to marry her. She had already experienced the kindness of Boaz, his protection, his provision, as well as his integrity. This other man may not be as honorable. She didn't know. And it's easy to see that Ruth was feeling a bit uneasy because of Naomi's words to her in Ruth 3.18. She says, wait, my daughter, after Ruth had told her all this, Naomi says, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today how many know that when a guy's in love he doesn't let the matter, matter rest he just settles it today well no you don't know that do we live in a world where men don't settle those kinds of things right away we don't just ask the, the right away go up to the lady that, that we're in love with and say look i'm in love with you you're a woman i'm a man you're a christian i'm a christian let's get together that doesn't happen anymore How many were pretty direct when you asked your wife to marry you? Like two of you? Um, You know, you want to hear how I asked my wife to marry me? I was dating this girl. It wasn't my wife. She was a wonderful girl. She really was, awesome lady. And we weren't getting along like we should. It just wasn't right. The relationship wasn't right. Had a long talk with her. She goes, what are you looking for in a wife? And I said, started naming things off. I was really good friends with Alyssa, but was not dating her. I started naming all these things off. And she, she looked at me, my girlfriend, looked at me and said, you just described Alyssa. And the light bulb went off. I left that conversation. And I went and asked Alyssa to marry me that night. I stole some lilacs out of somebody's yard because she likes lilacs and I took them to her and I asked her to marry me and she said yes and six months later we got married. So when you know, you know, all right? Don't hem-haw around. I mean, this world's crying for men to make a decision. And women. You know, (laughs) I don't even know how I got on all that. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Let your yes be yes and your no be no, right? As the story continues into chapter four, by the way, I did talk to that my girlfriend afterwards and let her know that we were breaking up and I was going to marry Alyssa. It was, <laughs> it was a very hard conversation and she was a champ in dealing with it and she was fine, um, but she knew too. She knew too that it just wasn't, it wasn't right for us and it, it worked out great. Probably did that a little backwards, though. So as the story continues into chapter 4, we see Boaz going over and talking to this man who was first in line as the kinsman redeemer to continue the line of Elimelech. He grabbed some city elders as witnesses to their conversation, and he began to tell the man of the land that Naomi was going to sell, and it was his opportunity to redeem it and become Naomi's household, the household of Naomi, Elimelech's household, to become their kinsman redeemer. Ruth 4, 4b, this is, this is uh, Boaz talking. He says, if you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I am next in line to redeem it after you. And the man replied, all right, I'll redeem it. I don't know, I, I'm, I'm, I know I'm reading into this, but I'm, I'm seeing this guy as, all right, I'll, I'll do it, okay. Again, not a real, make a decision. Oh, okay, I'll redeem it. I think this is that moment in the story when we feel a little disappointed. No, it can't end this way. It's got to be Boaz and Ruth that that, that end up together. And of course, what happens next is awesome, Ruth 4, 5. Then Boaz told him, after he said, yeah, I'll do it. I'll redeem it. Boaz told him, of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow, that she can uh, that way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land and the family. I mean, Boaz is the man here, right? He gets witnesses to this conversation. He gives, us, gives this opportunity to redeem uh, to this man that he, wants to, to, he really wants deep down in his heart himself. But the law is the law, and Boaz is fulfilling the law. He's following the law. He's fulfilling it. Boaz says, oh, yeah, by the way, you have to marry and, and love Ruth, too. You have to consummate the marriage and give her an heir as well. And this is where the man who had the opportunity to redeem bows out. He says, I cannot redeem it for myself. And he goes on to say that he really doesn't have the ability to redeem in this situation as it would put his own inheritance in jeopardy. So who is this unnamed redeemer who is powerless to redeem Ruth? The Bible never gives his name. But you could certainly see the parallel between him and... And the law. Romans 8:3, listen to this. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering, and so he, commen- he condemned sin in the flesh. This man was powerless to redeem because he lacked what it would take. The law was powerless to redeem because it lacked something. He couldn't love ruth the way she needed to be loved jesus is our kinsman redeemer he fulfills the law and he goes further because he loves us and he's able to do it he has the power to do it You, you see the connection he had the legal right this guy but he but was powerless the law and our legalistic efforts, church, to redeem ourselves will never have the power to truly redeem us. They'll never have the, it'll never have the power to deliver us, purchase us, or ransom us, or avenge our sin situation. The law was given. Sin was recognized. We know what sin is because of the law. We know that God's standard is so high that nobody can ever reach it. There's not one person in this room who's good enough to make it to heaven on their own. You can't be good enough. I mean, Janet's a pretty nice lady. I like her. She's a nice and I, a little old lady. Can I say that? You're not that old, but little old lady? She's little, for sure. We say, oh, there's going to be a lot of little old ladies in heaven who are just sweet, sweet, sweet. Janet cannot make it to heaven on her sweetness. As, as wonderful as she is. You can't make it to heaven by being good enough. And that's our problem. We try and we try and we try and we put forth this effort and it's it's like we're Ruth and and and, and the, the, this other unnamed redeemer is trying to redeem us and it never works out. It doesn't happen because it's powerless to do it. I do love you Jen, I'm just All right. Jesus not only fills the law as our kinsman redeemer. He he fulfills the law. But he has the power to redeem us because he truly loves us. What the law was powerless to do, God did through his son. And this man was like, the, this unnamed redeemer was, was like the old covenant. Legally allowed but powerless to succeed in full redemption. Boaz was like, the, was like Jesus and the new covenant. Legally allowed and completely successful in being a kinsman redeemer for us. And the story continues. Boaz says he will be the redeemer that purchases the land and take into his house Ruth the Moabitess and listen to what he says in verse 10. And I love this, this is chapter four, verse 10. Also, Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought, I have bought to be my wife. We don't like that, do we? He bought her. We're gonna get to that in a second to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are my witnesses this day. And again, it probably rubs us a little bit the wrong way to see Boaz say that he bought Ruth. I mean, that wouldn't fly in in, uh, circles today. It's not very politically correct to buy somebody. But again, these are customs that we don't fully understand, um, except for the fact that Jesus has bought us And this is a picture, okay? He's purchased us. He's ransomed us with his blood. Just as Boaz purchased Ruth, Jesus purchases the truth, or the church, purchases the church. The people who are witnesses uh, to this speak blessings on Boaz and Ruth. And of course they get married and she is fully redeemed. She eventually has a son. And Naomi, the woman named Pleasant, remember that? Who told everyone to call her Mara, which means bitterness, is also redeemed. And Ruth says to her in Ruth 4, 14 through 15, she says this, "'Then the woman said to Naomi, "'Blessed be the Lord, "'who has not left you this day without a redeemer, "'and may his name be renowned in Israel.'" He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. This is not only Ruth being redeemed, this is Naomi being redeemed, this is Elimelech's household being redeemed. And, And to me, Naomi really parallels the nation of Israel in the sense that she is one of God's chosen people. She's by birth a Jew, And she really goes through it in life. I mean, horrible things happen to her. And she has a lot of things that just seem like they're going to wipe her out. In fact, she gets so bitter even at God that she doesn't really want anything to do with him. She says, well, you haven't done anything for me. And by the way, daughter-in-laws, go back to Moab because you can see my God isn't working out. But in the end, she's redeemed. Israel as a nation has gone through it, folks over and over again. It's why it's so important politically that the United States of America stands with Israel. It's very, very important. And in the end, even though they have not accepted Jesus as their Savior, they miss that one. They'll be redeemed. There's redemption for them. All this plays out in, in the book of Ruth as you read and you, and you meditate and you think about it and you know, I, I know you can become, uh, you can maybe connect you can start connecting maybe too many dots sometimes, making up things that aren't there. But this stuff is pretty, it's pretty in our face when we read this. As the book of Ruth, Ruth ends, there are some genealogies given which are very important. Boaz and Ruth have a son named Obed. Do you know who Obed is? He becomes the father of Jesse. Jesse has eight sons, and the youngest of which is King David. And if you continue to trace the generations, their direct descendant is Jesus himself. So the union that developed between Ruth and Boaz eventually led to Jesus. And there are a lot of lessons in this book, as I've continued to point out, and this this is is more of a historical thing than than a scripture thing. I want you to understand this. but, But rabbinical writings lay out the lineage of Orpah, that's Ruth's sister, sister-in-law, but also they say it's her sister. They, lay, they, 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 uh, they have some things about her that we don't know from Scripture. And I, I thought I'd just tell them to you today because they're interesting. I'm not saying they're scriptural truth. You, you can't preach this because I preach the Bible. I don't preach rabbinical writings. But for, historic, for history's sake, this is interesting. According to their writings, It is said that Orpah, after leaving Naomi and going back to her family and presumably to the worship of her false god, became the mother of the four champions of Gath. This means that within Jewish writings, Orpah gave birth to Goliath. Of course, Ruth's lineage leads to King David and he beheaded Goliath. I'm not saying that this is 100% scriptural truth. I just find it incredibly interesting. Orpah is also a victim in the sense that, that One of God's people, Naomi, I want you to hear this because I saw this too, who had become embittered, Naomi, who had become embittered, she pushed and convinced her to go back to her sinful origins. And I think that's a warning to us that we need to be careful not to let our own anger and bitterness push people away from God. We all get bitter sometimes. We all get mad. We all get frustrated. We all get disgusted with God, with one another, but don't let that lead to you pushing people who aren't in the church, uh, push them away from God forever. I'm not throwing Orpah under the bus by saying she went back to her sin, but back to Moab. She did have a choice in the matter, though, as Ruth did as well. Ruth has a picture of the church You know she's born in Moab we're all born into sin the nation she was born into of course Moab was the result of Lot Abraham's nephew having sex with his own daughter Ruth is a picture of how we are all born I believe into sin and yet we can have hope in a kinsman redeemer the ultimate kinsman redeemer Jesus Christ Ruth left everything to follow Naomi she left her past behind she declared that the one true God would be her God she went to work harvesting where she could. It seems to be such a picture of the church going after those people who kind of fall through the cracks, kind of like the harvesters or the wheat falling down and she's picking it up behind them. And don't misunderstand me, Ruth working hard was not her earning her salvation, but once she made a decision to serve God, she didn't sit around and wait for the blessing. And I love that, that message in the story as well. She went to work to be the blessing instead of sitting around, wondering why she wasn't being blessed. And she did this, success, she did this successfully as she provided for herself and Naomi. And I believe this to be a good illustration of the, of the scripture in, and by the way, this, this just popped into my head. There's a real beautiful picture there of Ruth, if she's the church, providing for Naomi and if Naomi's the nation of Israel. Just a thought. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Jesus Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. In James 2, 18, but someone, uh, may, well, someone may well say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So this, this argument is, are we saved by faith or by works? Ruth is a great illustration of the balance in this. Faith with works, uh, a a part of that faith. I mean, you can't really have one without the other. Ruth was also submissive. I'm going to end here today. She was humble. She listened to Naomi's instructions and didn't ever seem to have the attitude of, What's in it for me? Or, When is it my turn? I deserve to be blessed. She also didn't try to force things to happen, and we all do that sometimes, don't we? We get in the way and we try to make something happen. She remains submissive, especially in her relationship with Boaz. And I believe many within the church miss the full blessings that God has for them because they refuse to submit, not just to the authority that God has placed over them in this life, but to God himself. They don't allow themselves to be led by the Spirit, And church, it's just so much easier. It's so much easier to be led by the Spirit than to do things ourselves, than to do what we think is best in those moments where we have a decision to make. And you could apply that, that, that kind of thinking to relationships in your life, to business, to ministry, really anything in life, to lay at the feet of our kinsman redeemer, as Ruth did, to be in submission to him. It's a beautiful thing. In Church, I've had so many of you comment again on this series, and how this part spoke to you or that particular thing really hit home, and I want to give you an opportunity this morning to respond to God and what He's spoken to you. But more than anything else, I really just want to encourage you to submit to the Spirit. Submit to His leading. I know many of you do this, but I don't believe there's anyone who's submitted enough. There's always room to grow in this. There's always room to grow. I do want to be like Ruth. You know, this is not the entomology of the word, but it's, it's very interesting that, that um, to be ruthless means the same thing as the opposite of how Ruth was. That's not the definition of Ruth, don't get me wrong, but it's interesting. It's interesting. I want to be Ruthful that submissive one to her kinsman redeemer. I want to be the bride of Christ. That's full of integrity, full of humility. I hope that's your heart's cry as well. To always, always try to be led of the spirit before we make rash decisions or do something in a knee-jerk way. Ruth is a great example to us in this. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.